If you would stand for the reading of God's Word, as Adam said, we are going to be finishing up Proverbs, and this proverb uh, is, is around work, but we're going to look at it a little bit differently in the sense of my silly little artwork here, but we're going to progress through work from the beginning in Genesis around through Proverbs and so forth, looking at the, the, the redemptive historical, if you want to think of that fancy term, of God's view of work for us. So here now in Genesis 2, God's plan for perfect work, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Then there was God's punishment for poor work. Genesis 3, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And in the Proverbs, God's practical tips for productive work. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. And then we move with the coming of Christ to God's provision for purposeful work from 1 Corinthians. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In Ephesians 5, which Hunter read earlier, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Colossians 3, whatever you do, Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And finally, we'll arrive at Revelation, where we have a perfect picture from Genesis to Revelation, where so much of, uh, of what was presented in Genesis is then completed in Revelation. We will close with that. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? You have shown us, O oh man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. We humbly ask that you give us a glorious picture, inspire us towards good works that honor you and bless others. Would you do that, Lord Jesus? In your name we pray, amen. Storylines, plots, themes matter as far as how we take things in, how we receive them, how we process and live by them. Simple example, if you look at this slide, the title of the piece is called The Murder at Maplethorpe. And as you read this, think about who is the woman who's walking away based on that title. The clock on the mantelpiece said 10.30, but someone had suggested recently that the clock was wrong. As the figure of the dead woman lay on the bed in the front room, a no less silent figure glided rapidly from the house. The only sounds to be heard were the ticking of that clock and the loud wailing of an infant. 
So as you read that with that title, Murder at Mablethorpe, you think, okay, the dead woman has been killed by this murder, and, and, and that person who is leaving is the murderer. But if instead the storyline theme title is the personal history of David Mapplethorpe, same story, but then with that title you realize, wait, maybe David Mapplethorpe is the infant, the woman who has died is his mother giving birth, dies in childbirth, and the woman leaving maybe is um, the midwife who has been there to help. So the storyline, the picture, how you process that, how you receive it, depends uh, or it makes a big difference. So what is your storyline for work? In other words, why do you do the work? It could be your profession, your vocation, or it could be any work, really. Why do you do the work that you do? Fill in the blank for that. Why do you do it? could be that you say, it's a means to an end. And Proverbs make clear the benefit of making money in order to provide to buy things. That's biblical in a sense. Or as a youth, you might say, well, it's something my parents make me do when I could be playing video games. Yes, Proverbs teach. It's a tool to teach responsibility and not entitlement. You could go for that. Or you could say, it's a necessary evil. I do the work that I do just because it's a necessary evil. Well, Genesis does give that little bit of a picture that work is cursed, in a sense. Your answer to that question likely depends on your, your profession, how your boss has been, how you were raised. All those things fit into your storyline of how you view work. And so in this sermon, we're going to speak about work, somewhat to your vocation or your job, but really more broadly to all types of work. And the big idea, you'll see this in your handout, if you want to follow along in the, in the bulletin with the outline there. Uh, the big idea is this, because of my identity in Christ, I am, you are, equipped to perform productive work, pr productive work unto the Lord for the sake of others. So I, I work for the Lord. It should bless and benefit others. And we can't, people can't make sense of much of anything without a coherent study line. It's been said people can live for 40 days or more even, sometimes without food, but not a day if there's no hope, if there's no purpose. And God desires to give us hope purpose around the work that we do. God's plan for perfect work in Genesis 2. God's intention for us from the beginning was to work and to rule over his creation. Work is and was good. God created man to work in the garden. He didn't give him the work to do because God was lazy and couldn't do it himself or to punish him. It was good. All that God made was good. Work was good. They were to care for everything in the garden, name the animals, build stuff, make bridges, zip lines, instruments, whatever they did, it went well. If they planted something, it grew perfectly. If they built something, it was perfectly square. If Eve was playing music and singing, she never missed a note. It was all good. Work was fun, fulfilling, and fruitful. 
So there's the beginning. The original operating system, everything working perfectly until it got a virus. The fun killer, the Satan came, tempted them. You can do the work better if you will do it your own way rather than God's way. They bit into that, took it, the operating system crashes, it runs much worse than it ever did before because they did embrace the poor work to do it their own way instead of the Lord's way. So God then gives a pronouncement, a pronouncement for their poor work of not trusting in Him. Work is cursed. It will no longer be easy. Now the garden gets weeds. You go to pull out the weed and you get ants. You get bitten by ants, you get ants. You go to get medicine and you're allergic to it. You're hammering the boards, you hit your finger. Adam crashes on his mountain bike in the garden. Eve tells him she can ride better than him anyway. But he doesn't get to prove it because they're kicked out of the garden. So they're gone. God's pronouncement for poor work. Work became difficult, though it is still good and it is still important. And God had every right to say, you've messed this up. Now work will be nothing but thorns and thistles. But he didn't do that. He was gracious not to do so. He provided help for them so that work could still be productive. As we see in the Proverbs, God's practical tips for productive work. Proverbs 6, we heard earlier, says, Go to the ant, sluggard. You lazy whatever. Go see what the ant does. The ant's out there working. He doesn't need a ruler. He's working. The simple point is, we need to do something. Okay? So not being lazy and doing something is helpful. But we need more than that. Otherwise, we're like the child who goes out on the basketball court and just runs around and shoots it. Whoops, in the wrong goal. They're doing something. That wasn't right. Or Milo in the Phantom Toll Booth, if you ever read that book, where he's given the job, the work, to move this mountain of sand one particle at a time with tweezers over and make a mountain here, and then Milo do it again. So we realize there's a point, there's a reason that we do the work that we do. And we don't labor just to survive. That's part of it like the insects do, but we work as an honor, a privileged commission from our great king. The next proverb we read, Proverbs 21 says this, or 25 says that the desire, the desire of the sluggard kills him. The desire, the passion of the sluggard kills him. And we need to realize that even the lazy sluggard is passionate, desires something. Maybe his passion is for comfort and he never exercises or doesn't eat well or does social media. He just sits there and he's, he's comfortable. That, but he's passionate about that. So we should ask ourselves, what, what is it that I am passionate about? And has it become my master? Sluggard, living your life in the social media, posting some cool stuff, but are you mastered by it? Are you mastered by your club, whatever that is? Gun club, hunting club, CrossFit, healthy eating club, healthy dinner club. Are you mastered by sports on TV, favorite college football team, favorite pro football team? 
There's not a formula that says 3.4 hours of club stuff means it's an idol. No, the Word of God cuts like a knife and it makes it more powerful to determine is that an idol. We can often say, I need that. I must have that. And that may be a clue. There is an idol. I need, I must have God. What else is it that I really must have? Other things are idols that we fill in when we say, I need that. Is your use of time good? Are you mastered by bad things? Are you mastered by good things that have gone bad? Are the things that you are choosing to do with your time really the right thing at the right time? The workaholic could be a sluggard just like everyone else because he or she is not doing the right thing at the right time. So what about the, what about the person? I, I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to be a sluggard. I really want to work and do something and be productive. We went through a book last year in, uh, in, um, in the men's class, What's Best Next? And in that book, author pointed out that we're to, we're to work in, in blocks of time. So what he was doing is kind of giving us modern-day proverbs to help us, that we're to work in blocks of time, not just from lists. Okay, a practical tip there. So, wives, I'm sorry if I just shot down your honeydew list. Men, still, still do those when your wife gives them. But, but do them in blocks of time, okay? So what he's saying there is studies show that we're most productive when we have a routine, a block of time where you're doing things, just like in creation, God had a rhythm, six days on, one day off. Okay, there are rhythms. And, and so hence, maybe for the athlete, it's this best time. You have the most energy. Work on your basketball drills then. The engineer, from 9 to 11 in the morning, I'm freshest. I'll do my research then. Or the student, do your calculus at this time where you're most productive. Within those blocks of time, he said, do the big rocks first. Do the big rocks first. Not just work to work. You're after an outcome. After an outcome. Otherwise, otherwise we're like Winnie the Pooh, walking around in a circle, looking for the heffalump, and then, whoa, I've been here before. I've been here before. I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. We are, we are to work for outcomes. We're to work for outcomes. He also points out, that we should beware of multitasking. Oh, there's a, I love to multitask. I get multiple things done at once. But the point is, we're, we're wired in a sense, like a computer processor. Even though that computer looks like it's doing three things at one time, it's really working serially. This, put a hold on that, do this, do that. And so when we try to do all these different things together at the same time, we're really having to stop thinking about this, re-engage here, re-engage here, and studies show it's not that productive necessarily. You're really just switch tasking instead of multitasking. We're to be efficient, not just effective. To do what really, really matters. Otherwise, we're just spreading the butter too thin over the bread. Stretching the wire too tight. Another point he makes is to have margins for the sake of others. What, is, what does this practically mean? Have margins for the sake of others. 
Scripturally, the Proverbs says, the righteous gives and does not hold back. The righteous gives and does not hold back. Consider others. It's not just for ourselves that we do the work that we do. It is to benefit and bless others. That's why we're to have that margin so that we can not just sit there and do nothing, but when that brother or sister comes and they need help, that we can engage with them, we can pray for them, we can counsel them, that child, that spouse who is desperate and needs help. And there are multiple folks in here who you live that out, that somebody comes, you have margin, you care, you engage, and you help them. The righteous gives and does not hold back. And with that thought of work being for others, Tim Keller offers this definition of work. Rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. That work is supposed to help others. Our work is not just for ourselves, it is for others. So the Proverbs around work are about practical wisdom, give us great tips to help for work, and they're truths that will help, in a sense, in a box, okay? If all other things being equal, they are very helpful, and they help us to live by them and be productive in work. Now, how did that last few minutes help make you feel? You know, hopefully one or two of those, there's a little tip in there, maybe keep it in your pocket, backpack, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll tweak my work a little bit to be more productive that way. But hopefully also you're thinking, that sounds like a time management class. Daryl, this church, this is a sermon. Aren't you supposed to tell me something about Jesus? You're right. You're right. And that's so much of what the Proverbs do. They are biblical and true and good, but they leave us longing, clinging for something a bit more, pointing us to work in and of itself, even if it's for others, isn't there something more? And that's what Christ did, even with work, that he has redeemed it. And that's what 1 Corinthians gives us, where Christ has given us a provision for purposeful work that we can overcome difficulty, find satisfaction in, satisfaction in work because of Christ's redemptive work. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Okay, so maybe, maybe the question then becomes, is we've got to talk about Jesus. WWJD, what would Jesus do for work? And often as Reformed folks, we'll say, well, it's not about what Jesus would do. It's about what he's done. He is completed, and I rest in that. Okay, there's, there's some goodness in there. But he also says, when I go to the Father, greater works will you do. So there is some work for us to do that matters. So the question might be, WWJWMTD, what would Jesus want me to do? Okay, so we'll, we'll dig in. That'll be our new little acronym here. Wayne Grudem, scholar, says this, productivity starts with prayer and Bible study. 
That's pretty simple. I, I got that back when I became a Christian, and I had great devotionals. That was all good. But, but now I'm in the real world. I'm meeting with these people in this job, and this, I'm busy. This is the real world. The devil loves to hear that. Where we don't tie in God and his word into our work. And Grudem say, that's, that's the way I'm most productive, is to bring the Lord into it. I can't tell you how many times personally I've seen that where maybe I do my devotional in the morning and then I'm going off to work and I'm in my day job and I'm meeting with a customer. Oh, wait, maybe I should pray about this for Lord's help to help me with this customer. And the Lord shows up and helps me in that. Oh, we're supposed to tie our day-to-day job with the Bible and prayer? Yes, yes. Otherwise, if, if it's work that we're doing that we can't engage the Lord in Him to bless it, it's just hay and straw, the Bible says. It doesn't really matter anyway. Another thing to consider with that is, what, what's, what's the will of God in my work? So this could be my, my vocation. What job should I choose? What should I major in going to college as a young student? Somebody considering a job change. Is this job good? or just your day-to-day work around the house. Work broadly. What's the will of God for that? R.C. Sproul, in his book on the will of God, points out that uh, as far as pastoral counseling, the primary type of pastoral counseling that gets done is around marriage. You would expect that. But then the second most common is around vocational work counseling. And one of the points is simply this. What are you passionate about What are you most gifted? Where do you have talents that God has given you to do work? In the early, early church, go back into the hundreds AD, there was something that crept in called Manichaeism. And it tied into self-denial. You know, as a Christian, we're to deny ourselves. Yes, amen. But what they did was they said, okay, with your work, there's supposed to be the self-denial so that you're supposed to hate your work. And that's the only way that it can be good is if you hate it. Now, fortunately, we've come so far from that. And ideally, we align that very often the job you should be doing is what you're passionate and gifted to do. The Latin word for vocation, vocare, is a calling. It is important. Our first calling is to Christ, but then we have a calling to the work that we do that should benefit others. We're called to that. Just this past couple weeks, had a couple conversations around work with folks. And two of the folks were, were quite wealthy. And what they were desiring to do with their wealth was things like invest in orphanages, build up orphanages. The other one around prison ministry. So they were desiring to take the wealth that they had and to invest in those for very, very good reasons. And they weren't pastors or missionaries or full-time Christian workers, but they were doing great works. And you say, well, I don't have a whole lot of money, and I I don't really want to be a pastor or missionary. And sometimes I wonder if that means, am I even a Christian because I don't want to be a pastor? Yes. Dorothy Sayers says this, as far as just general work, general work, The church's approach often to an intelligent carpenter 
is usually confined to exhorting him not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Do good work where the Lord has you. You're a mother caring for young person's souls. You can teach and bless them. Give me something more important than that, young mother. A salesman for Christ who's not just concerned about a quota, but selling honestly. A doctor for Christ who's able to care someone's ailing body and give them good health. A trustworthy mechanic for Christ who fixes the vehicle and doesn't overcharge. An admin who keeps the company running smoothly so folks get where they need to be. All of those fit and bless and are so important and cogs in the wheel. If we didn't have one of those, look at what would fall apart for that organization. The tremendous impact that you can have for the gospel even when you're not a full-time Christian worker. And maybe, depending on what you do, maybe even more. Jesus said again, look at these greater works that you'll do. And most of the time, we're thinking of equipping people within the church. You know, we'll plug you in in this ministry and that. And that is absolutely important. We want to do that. We want you plugged in here, being a part of this body. Redeemer does great things for the Lord. But we are also sending you out. You are to be, I am to be, we are to be salt and light, doing excellent work in the community. And that reflects on the Lord. We are to be outward focused in that way. So you can do good work. You can be in God's will and not be a full-time Christian worker. Speaking of God's will, David, a shepherd, was in God's will. Paul, a tent maker, was in God's will. Adam and Eve, when they were gardening before the fall, they were in God's will. Was Jesus in God's will for 30 years when he was a carpenter? I would think so. So we are called to seek God's will as we work. So it applies to choosing a vocation. It applies to whether you go play dolls with your daughter or work on a presentation that's due tomorrow. They're both important. We have to wrestle with God's will, the right time, right? What do I do? Whether you work on your own homework, student, or you help your little sister with hers. So as we wrestle with God's will, what is God's will for me in this decision? Be willing to do it before you know what it is. Be willing to do God's will before you know what his will is. So many times we shoot it down because we say, I'm only going to do this. I don't care what you say, God. And then you pray about it. No. God, I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And then secondly, we look and see, does the Bible put any constraints, any guidelines, guardrails around what this decision might be? When Lot and Abraham were determining their land, where did they want to go? Lot chose the land that was good for his cattle, not so good for his family. The Bible gives guidelines that we shouldn't choose something that will pull us away from our relationship with the Lord. So we should be willing to do God's will before we know what it is. We should look in the Bible, as Grudem said, 
productive Bible study. Look in the Bible for guidelines. And then thirdly, realize this. It's not just all about the one decision. Like remember, years back, a godly man was discipling me, and 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 he was great. But he said, every single decision you make is in God's will or not. Whether you eat corn pops this morning or you eat Wheaties, there's a decision there, and you better get it right because one's in God's will and one's in not. Oh, man, I'm bound my conscience. But the point is, a lot of times you could choose A or you could choose B, and you could be in God's will because God is after your relationship with him as you walk through that decision and not just the decision itself. And that gives some freedom. Whatever I choose in this, as long as it's not against what the Bible is saying, so I can be in God's will and pursuing Him in this work, what it, what it may be. Another simple point is this. We know the little saying. No one says on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at the office, right? right. And that's good so far as it goes that You're going to miss, you you, you miss the relationships, the time with the child, spouse. Relationships are key and important. But if we now take a step back and we say that work is redemptive and work is good and work is unto the Lord, there's not a dichotomy here between your work in the office is unto the Lord. And it is good. And you can say, I wish I could have done more. Not at the expense of the relationship, but I wish I could have done more. That's still a good thing. It's unto the Lord. Our work is redeemed because of Christ. More than that, we consider for whom our work is ultimately directed. Colossians 3 says this. Whatever you do, work heartily. Which means literally there from the soul. From the soul, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Only time in Scripture, Lord Christ, there in Colossians. They were taught Jesus was not just prominent, not just great, but preeminent the greatest, the ultimate in importance. He's the authority. So we're not working ultimately for that boss who's unfair. This issue with my spouse, I do more work than her. She does more work than me. You're not working to do more or less, whatever, get them. Working for the Lord ultimately. Simple application to take away should you take your mission? And I've cut out a, a decent amount out of the sermon just because of the, the heat, so we're, we're about to finish. Give me a couple more minutes. Application. Write out your resume of work in the next couple of days. Now, what are you talking about? Resume so that I can get a new job? No. Write out your resume of just what kind of work you've done through your life. Why? And I did this for a few minutes this week, just to, and it helped me to think, Lord, thank you that you gave me that job I didn't deserve. Or thank you that you helped me do these things. You gave me these skills, those kinds of things. Thankfulness to God, to equipping you, to giving you whatever gifts and talents you have. 
And then also to look for, to the future. Lord, where will you use me in this next year, years of life? Because work is good, and it's where I spend the bulk of my time often. What would you do with me? And to think forward with that. So put together that resume and pray through it briefly. And as glorious, as glorious as the work might be that you do, it does not define what you do, or, or does not define you, does not define you. So we're talking about work, but we need to get it in context, in, 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 in the right place. Your work does not define you. You're not a human doing, you're a human being. And the devil will seek, the devil will seek to make us find our identity in work, to find our identity, I am this, and it's going well, I'm doing well, it's going poorly, I'm a failure. The devil will love to take you there. Or if it's not going well, to quit. The devil will say, just quit. You're doing it for yourself, it's not going well, quit. Or to do it poorly. And we are called to work for the Lord Christ. That is what Jesus himself calls us to do, to work for him. So think about it this way. You know, think of a mirror. Okay, a mirror, and, and humorous point on mirrors, I should use a mirror more often. Uh, there's so many times I come home and Donna will say, you, you didn't just go, you know, teach this work there. Your, your collar's like this. Your pants are tucked in your sock or whatever. It's like, I needed a mirror. I was like, well, I'm being humble. I don't, I don't look in the mirror. No, I was being sloppy. So, Mirrors are good, but mirrors not for work in the sense of finding our identity in our work. Our work is not a mirror that shows who we are. Think of the work more as a window where we are looking through it and we are seeing, God, here's where you're working. Here's where you're advancing the kingdom, and here's where I can step in and use the little, the great, the whatever to come alongside and honor the Lord Christ. Let us pray. Our Father, our God, Lord Christ, you rule over everything.